So it gives this building donation incentives for the future. So what did incentives used to look like? Incentives used to look like discounts, right? That was the only real incentive that worked, if we're being honest. And so now, you know, buyers are becoming a bit more savvy. Hugely discounted brands are going out of business. It is something where you ultimately know that you get what you pay for. And so if you're going to be paying hugely discounted prices, you're likely going to get lower quality products. And so brands are starting to figure this out. They're starting to see with new data analytics tools that are out there that anybody that comes in via discounts are their lowest lifetime value customers. They're people that are just going to hop from discount to discount. And so you want to really drive as a business owner, you want to drive full price purchases as much as you can. Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Mains. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where joy doesn't come from what we get, but most often from what we give. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. Well, in last week's episode, we talked with Liziana Carter, founder of Grow AI. Grow AI creates automated conversations to help businesses serve clients and convert more followers into buyers using a dialogue-driven chatbot. It's very cool stuff. Well, Liz didn't wake up and create a unicorn on her first day. It's been a winding road with a few restarts, and that episode is a great conversation with another fantastic SaaS founder who is in the trenches, building cool things, and creating happy clients along the way. So if you missed it, go back and give that a listen. Liz is pretty remarkable. Well, my guest this week is Andrew Foreman, CEO of Gives. Andrew is an investment banker turned SaaS founder. Gives helps businesses, including SaaS companies like yours and mine, drive revenue and loyalty by allowing customers to choose donations over discounts. It's a brilliant concept that many of your clients have never seen before, especially in the sales process. I mean, you know, talk about a unique way to create surprise and delight. But don't take my word for it. Let's hear it from the creator himself. Welcome, Andrew Foreman. Hey, Andrew, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I love your background. Tell me a little bit about how you went from being an investment banker to what you're doing today. Yeah, so investment banking to Harvard Business School to anything dealing with anything good, I feel like people automatically are like, hmm, something's fishy. What stinks here? Um, (laughs) And so people, you know, I joke about that. I really actually think there's a lot more great, fantastic people that come out of HBS and even banking than folks give credit for. You always hear about the bad ones, and that's what ends up grabbing headlines. But having gone through it, I've met so many amazing people along the journey. But one of the biggest pieces that is usually missing from this background story here is I was also the treasurer of a nonprofit for five years. And so I have some serious nonprofit, you know, on the nonprofit executing side, having been there, done that. And so my worlds were really separate, right, in terms of doing the investment banking piece, which was paying the bills, and fulfilling the financial needs that I had, and then to allow me to say like, hey, I'm having an impact on this world in some even small way. 
running a tiny nonprofit was extremely helpful in closing my eyes and thinking about the good that I was doing. And at the end of my investment banking career, I actually had the pleasure of working with a company that was the most profitable company I'd ever seen, but they were also literally throughout their business model saving lives, you know, finding people in the Middle East that were saying that they were engineers or pilots or doctors that actually weren't. And so this background screening check was actually not allowing doctors that weren't doctors to do surgeries and kill people that wasn't allowing, you know, fake engineers to build buildings. And so what was interesting there for me and kind of the light bulb went off was like, hey, this person has built and I worked closely with the CEO there over a number of transactions for his company. And he had built a business that made money hand over fist in terms of for him and for his shareholders, but also was doing good in the world. He didn't need to do the nonprofit on the side or anything like that, although he did that as well. So I think that is something that was the initial light bulb for me. I went back to business school to either search for you know a co-founder or somebody who's already started a company. I didn't think I was going to come up with something on my own. But then when you're there, they ask you, what are you going to do with this one in precious life 10 million times over? And so I thought about, you know, what problems I had experienced in the world and find a problem and fix it was the, you know, find a problem that you've experienced and fix it. And I think that is where I kind of started Gives, having recognized, you know, it was such a pain for brands and charities to come and work together in ways it should be a really seamless process. And so we've started to build that. That's great. And I love that on a couple of different fronts. One, just that you were involved in nonprofits from a business side early on. That's something that so many nonprofits need is that kind of help. Totally, yeah. So as the treasurer of my specific nonprofit that we had started, you know, I had friends at brands large and small that wanted to help that, you know, when push came to shove, getting over the red tape or trying to figure out how do we run something that's sustainably going to give money back to charities that we care about. It was hard to do. And I think 10 years ago when I had started that charity, consumers weren't fully ready for it, right? Today, now more than ever in the past year, in the past six months, it's even gotten stronger and stronger where consumers really care about a whole host of different things, right? And the thing is, everybody's passionate about something. They're just passionate about different things. And so that's where it starts to come down to becoming in the company's best interest to be able to say to you, Jeff, you know, we care about what you care about. To me, Andrew, we care about what Andrew cares about. To Jane, we care about what she cares about. And so I think that is where I get really excited about the consumers really want this. Then it's going to be in the brand's best interest to do this because they're going to be able to drive sales while supporting charities that each individual cares about. And then that's where we can drive huge amounts of business and donate money to charity that otherwise would not have gone to charity and thus leaving a legacy along the way. That's huge. And that's really the second thing that really resonates with me about your background is we typically think about profit and nonprofit as two separate worlds. And what you've done is brought those together. So it is one holistic experience. So tell me a little bit more about Gives and how that works and how that supports not only nonprofits, but the brands. Yeah, so Gives is building donation incentives for the future. So what did incentives used to look like? Incentives used to look like discounts, right? That was the only real incentive that worked, if we're being honest. And so now, you know, buyers are becoming a bit more savvy. Hugely discounted brands are going out of business. It is something where you ultimately know that you get what you pay for. And so if you're going to be paying hugely discounted prices, you're likely going to get lower quality products. And so brands are starting to figure this out. They're starting to see with new data analytics tools that are out there that anybody that comes in via discounts 
are their lowest lifetime value customers. They're people that are just going to hop from discount to discount. And so you want to really drive as a business owner, you want to drive full price purchases as much as you can. And on top of that, you need to start giving people incentives that aren't just discounts. You know, free gifts with purchase are super interesting. Donation incentives, I feel, are certainly going to be the future, right? Which is like, hey, normally if somebody comes to my site and spends $70, I want them to spend over 100 get that one extra item in their basket. So they say, spend over $100 and you'll get 10% back to give to a charity that you care about. And we've seen over and over again that this increases average order value for the brand and ultimately allows the brand to support the charities with that extra revenue that they're generating. They can now make donations to the charities that their customers care about most. And they learn about what their customers care about most. And there's huge long-term benefits here. But even in the short term, we can drive a lift in average order value anywhere from 10 to 30% in six to eight weeks. And that's the big differentiator here where I think as you thought about social impact in general as like a long-term initiative that you're not sure if it worked, not sure how to measure ROI, with Gives, brands can now measure that ROI instantaneously with a specific A-B test or even you know within six to eight weeks looking at total average order value across their site as they go. That's really interesting. Is there any kind of pushback from the brands that maybe they're losing something or cannibalizing revenue by doing something like that in giving? That's a great question. So as we've built this as to be an ROI positive type of endeavor, right? The goal here is in that, let's take the example where, you know, you have an AOV of 70 bucks, you then say spend over $100, get 10, 5 or 10% to give to a charity of your choice. There will be some folks that we're going to spend over $100 anyway, right? And so I think that's the cannibalization point that you're talking about. Now, if we see AOV and the percentage of orders that are over 100 goes up, let's say the percentage of orders that are over 100 goes up 30% because you've highlighted this on top of your site, now you know like, okay, there's at least this 30% increase that would not have spent over $100 that are now spending over $100. And what we're actually finding is the people that would spend over $100 anyway, when they get the, the donation dollars after they purchase, they may or may not take advantage of it. The folks that have spent over $100 because of this incentive, they're definitely going to donate the money, but the other folks may not, and then the brand doesn't have to pay for them. So it's kind of a best of both world scenario. But anytime you put out a discount code, right, there's going to be some people that were going to shop anyway, but now they found the discount code, so they're going to use the discount code. And so there's some cannibalization there, but as long as you're seeing growth, it comes down to a math problem, right? It's like, hey, I increased my average order value 30% across my site. That's an increase of revenue of 30% for me in six to eight weeks. And I'm donating Y dollars, which is going to be way less than the 30% increase in revenue. And even on a gross margin basis is going to make sense. And so then the math is very, very clear. That makes a lot of sense. And I think you're exactly right, because I'll go to buy something. And I'm already going to buy it anyway, but then I go and I look for a discount code. Totally. And there are even apps to do that. I mean, we've got Honey and some of the other ones that that do that, and they'll go find them for me. Exactly. So, you know, I didn't come from wherever that discount code originated from, but I'm certainly going to take advantage of it. Yeah. And I think for us, what we're seeing is people can even use those discount codes. If they're already out there, then people are going to find them. They're going to use those discount codes. But this is a way to, even after the discount code, get people to spend over the certain threshold that you want them to spend. And each incremental piece that they're adding to their cart as they go to check out is massively important for brands. Yeah, without a doubt. 
And increasing that average order value is a really interesting proposition because it's not really cannibalizing existing revenue. It's a net gain. Exactly. Exactly. And that's just one use case, right? Like we have worked with a financial institution, for example, where they're testing deposit incentives, right? So deposit $50 into your account today, and we will give you $10 to give to a charity of your choice. And they're finding that that's moving the needle a lot more than their traditional incentive, which could be, you know, hey, we're going to manage your money for free for six months or whatever it may be, right? This is actually getting people to move right now. And I think the psychology behind it is super interesting where, you know, it's something that you meant to put an auto deposit on, right? You're like, I want to make sure that I'm investing, especially now the market's low. I want to make sure that I'm doing this auto deposit, but I hadn't thought about it. Then I get an email that says, hey, if I do this auto deposit right now, I'm going to get $10 to give to a charity that I care about. It's a reason to say yes, right? And it's kind of, you know, whether it's a reason to say yes to start auto depositing into your Betterment account or whether it's a reason to say, you know what, I do want to treat myself for these new pair of shoes or whatever it may be. I'm doing something good in the world while this is happening. And I think from a consumer psychology standpoint, you're unlocking something extremely important within an individual's brain that says like, yeah, this brand, they're not cheap. In fact, I'm paying full price, but I'm getting money to give to any charity that I want to support while I'm getting this quality product. I like that. What do you think about you know, the difference in consumer perception of you know, a discount for them or getting some sort of a rebate for them versus doing it for charity? Yeah, so I think it totally depends on your brand in this case, right? So there are a few brands that we work with that the customer is trained that there is a 10 to 20% discount on this brand every single time. They will not buy without that 10 to 20% discount. And so it depends on where you've been positioned in the past. And so for them, they've kind of said like, listen, we've kind of gone down this 10 to 20% discount hole. People are not going to buy. And I told them, don't even test just a 20% to give to charity type of thing. They're going to need something for them, but layering in the charity incentive is going to be extremely interesting. So instead of going to, they need to drive more sales for a certain time period. Typically, they've gone to 30% discounts to do that. And I said, here, why don't we try a 20% discount plus 10% to give to a charity of your choice? So now the people get their 20% discount for them, which they're expecting and they need and they won't buy without. But now they get this extra layered incentive of 10% to give to a charity of their choice. Now you're capturing a whole different crowd on top of the people that just want this for them. The people that are just in it for themselves are going to get their 20% discount. They're not even going to allocate the other 10%. It's going to expire. And so the brand won't even have to pay for that. The people that they are getting in through this will donate the extra 10% to the charity that they care about. And it'll drive sales even better than that 30% off sale. So that's what we're working with in terms of those types of brands. In terms of brands that haven't done a lot of discounts, that's where, you know, it's generally they're more luxury items. They have, you know, taken a brand stance that they are a high quality brand. And so discounts are very, very rare, maybe only Black Friday, Cyber Monday type of deal, and maybe one other time throughout the year. And so they need reasons to reach out to people and get them to buy now. They're not going to do discounts based on their brand. But that's where the consumer psychology for them is like, hey, like, here's a reason to buy right now. And that's where it's like, I, maybe I was looking at this $400 pair of shoes. I felt a little bit guilty about it. Do I really need this? I want it, but do I really need it? Now it comes with $40 to give to a charity that I care about. Okay, I'm going to buy them. That's the interesting piece here that I think unlocks a lot of potential. The concept itself is brilliant. How did you get into entrepreneurship in the beginning? What made you think that you could start a company and do this and be successful? Yeah, man, I guess I have to give some credit where credit is due to 
one, my parents who always, you know, they were not entrepreneurs at all, didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in their body. But they were always like, you got to work for yourself. We're there working for the man. And they were like, you have to work for yourself. You have to start something. You got to do something different, take a different path. So I appreciate them always pushing me in that type of direction. And that was embodied at 19 when I stumbled upon a company called Vector Marketing. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but that's the Cutco Knives folks. You probably had a rep come to your parents' house or your house at some point and try to sell you some knives. And so I did that for a summer right before college. I sold a bunch of knives, um, which was an interesting (laughs) story in and of itself. But the next summer, they asked me to come back and be a summer branch manager. And so I was an assistant branch manager. It was three of us. I think I was 19. The other guy was 20. And then the head manager maybe was 23 or 24, right? And so we had to negotiate a lease. We like rented out an entire space. We built fake walls to like create offices. It was a really, really cool experience as a 19 year old to then go out and hire, you know, 150 people over that summer to go ahead and sell knives, train them, run phone jams at 9 p.m. on Wednesday nights, and then take everybody to Applebee's across the street. Like, It was a wild thing. We kind of ran our own business, and we ran the number one branch in the eastern half of the United States. (laughs) Wow. And it was cool. It was fun. I had a blast doing it. I learned so, so much. And that, I think, really made me think about like, wow, it would be, this is what it could look like to own a business one day. That's cool. It's interesting, some of the stories that have come out of that. I don't know if you know who John Rulin is. Sure. Book called Giftology, but that's you know he's got the Cutco story as well. Yeah, yeah, it's something that I really never ever talk about, but I probably should, and I should give them more credit than I do. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you know that experience, you know, succeeding there, and then you know moving into the next ventures, you thought, why not? I can do this again. Yeah, so I went back to my roots, right, where I was like, okay, I did that. That was really, really fun. But, you know, I'm a math major. I'm not like, you know, I'm not super creative. I kind of put myself in this own hole of like, you know, analytics, analytics, analytics. And I, you know, I said, all right, what opens the most amount of doors? And so I thought investment banking would open the most amount of doors and say like, I don't know exactly what I want to do at 22. So I'm going to just go make as much money as I can start a nonprofit, you know, try to have as much positive impact as I can and keep the doors open, right? And so I kind of fell into that. I did investment banking for six years, which is a long time to do investment banking, but I fell into a great group of individuals at Portico Capital and they really opened my eyes as well because again, it was an eight person shop. It was like, you could run your own business. But not only that, we're working with businesses that CEOs that have been there, done that. And so you know, that CEO of the company that I mentioned at the beginning of this, you know, who was running a business that was doing well, doing good at the same time, he, you know, was a huge mentor of mine, wrote my letter of recommendation to get into HBS, you know, was a seed investor, one of the largest seed investors, angel investors in the first round of gives. And so really had a huge impact on my life. That's fantastic. What impact have mentors had on your success in your life? Oh, man, I think mentors are so underrated and undervalued. They really shape your mind at a young age, right? And so it starts with your parents and then straight on through everybody you interact in life. But I think especially when I think back to even at Cutco, you know, the 23-year-old who was the head of the summer branch, you know, I looked up to him and I learned a lot from him. The folks 
you know, all along the way, you know, at the investment bank, two folks that ran the investment bank, even the two folks under them, I learned so much from everybody that I worked with. But then folks that take that extra time to say like, no, this person's going to be in your life for a long time. This person's important to me. I'm going to take time to talk to them, mentor them, invest in them. And, you know, the person who started Portico Capital, you know, hired me, employed me for five years. His partner wrote my letter of recommendation to business school. And then he was the largest seed investor in my company. And the CEO of the companies we sold is invested, right? So, I mean, like, this is something that you're building throughout your entire life. And I've been super, super lucky to have amazing mentors along the way. Those relationships are just invaluable. I call them every week, right, with something new. And I have enough of them that I call somebody every week, but I probably, I'd say some of my mentors would even say, hey, he doesn't call enough, right? Because I have eight mentors that I can cycle through, and so I only call them once every couple months. (laughs) That's awesome. But what were the biggest lessons you learned from your investment banking experience? Man, biggest lessons I learned from the investment banking experience. So... Number one lesson I learned from investment banking experience was preparation is key, right? Like it matters. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I thought like, hey, you have a great business. You're going to sell that great business for hundreds of millions of dollars. And if you have a great business that's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, that is true. But there's a huge difference between $300 million and $430 million, right? Like that's $130 million difference for those math majors that are out there, right? And if you have a great business and you don't hire investment bankers, so I'm drinking the investment banking Kool-Aid, right? Like at that level, we knew every single buyer for this potential company. And if they did it themselves and they didn't have the preparation that we knew you had to have, which was like, have a document that's ready, 30 page document ready to go, a 90 page presentation. Hey, we're ready. It doesn't have to be that really, honestly, the shorter, the better as we're learning and coming across. But these were the old days. And so the most important piece there was just having your story, having rehearsed it, having practiced it with the investment banking team over and over and over again. If you had done that yourself, I genuinely believe they had done it themselves. They sell that company for $300 million, which is still a great outcome. But I think investment banking, they're like, oh man, you guys made like $10 million off of this one transaction. It's like, yeah, well, first of all, you made $100 million. But besides that, (laughs) you sold your company for for $430 million. And I really think that there's a huge amount of value add that went in. Now, could they have done all that themselves? I guess yes and no. I think they could have done it if they knew what to do. Even for me, coming from the investment banking background, if I were to get to that point where my company's worth that much, I would 100% hire somebody else to help me come in, look at this with fresh eyes, practice, do everything that needs to be done. It's an absolute no-brainer. And I think that just understanding how important preparation was and trying to take that to every other aspect of my business. So now on a sales call, there's a huge difference on a sales call. And so bring this down to the micro level, there's a huge difference on a sales call when I'm talking to somebody and I've gone to their website and I have recommendations to throw out right out of the box versus somebody that like back to back to back and I just had to go in, go in cold, not even knowing what their business was. It's just a totally different ball game, right? 100%. So that's definitely the biggest learning and maybe a couple of learnings coming in from that. I guess two was, you know, hey, there's risk reward, right? I learned a lot about risk reward there, right? Because on the investment banking side, the risk we were taking on was that we were going to spend a bunch of time with the company and not be able to sell it or not be able to raise capital for it. And then we would not get paid if, you know, it was really success-based as our compensation. Our risk was time spent and $0 made, but the reward was, you know, anywhere from $1 to $10 million kind of payday, right, for being able to sell the company. So, 
the risk reward there is pretty limited. It's like zero to 10. And but it's like pretty good outcome, right? If you're looking at it, it's like, it's like pretty cool, but you're not going to make the $100 million. And so the entrepreneurs, on the other hand, they were like, they've spent 10 years on this, right? And so 10 years of work their whole life, and they could totally end up with a zero, or they could end up with $100 million. So their risk reward was just so much larger, a whole lot more risk, whole lot more reward. And I think that's the number two lesson I learned. And then three, hmm, let's see, third lesson I learned from that is it just always comes back to the people, right? It's the people that you work with. At that investment bank, eight people, I can confidently say I was not one of the top four smartest people. I could say that I learned something, you know, from <laughs> from those folks every single day, day in, day out from their work ethic all the way through to just how they thought about things in different manners. And they'd been there, done that and seen that, okay, well, actually, if you position it this way, it's going to be a whole lot better. And they just bring when you surround yourself with A-plus players, you have to become A-plus pretty quickly. And so I think that's the main takeaway from those days. Oh, that's great. It's a good environment to be in. I mean, I try never to be the smartest person in a room. Totally. And that's a great environment to be in. Totally. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Andrew about how we apply the gives methodology to B2B sales and specifically SaaS and how you can implement this in your business to drive more revenue, more customers, and do great things in the world right after this. Why do some companies achieve explosive growth while others sink into the depths? What do exceptional SaaS companies do that mediocre companies don't? And what can SaaS leaders learn from fish? Hey, check out my book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. This book delivers powerful business lessons guaranteed to change the way you view your business and includes hands-on exercises and growth tools to get lightning fast results. Get your copy today at Smallfish Big Pond. Use the code SASFUEL to unlock special bonus audio and video content. Welcome back to SASFUEL. My guest today is Andrew Foreman, founder and CEO of Gives. And Andrew, up to this point, we've talked a lot about how to use Gives in an e-commerce setting. How do we do that in a B2B market? Does it work that way? And how do we use that as SaaS founders to help do good in the world and promote our business? Yeah, so we have just released our platform Agnosticate. So we are able to support any function that folks want. And so my go-to saying here is if you want to incentivize somebody to do anything, incentivizing them with donation dollars works the best and does some good in the world, right? So you may as well try it out. It's easy to test out. And so I think from a B2B standpoint, right, there's a couple of different ways that you can go. It's a function of, hey, take a meeting, get 5 to $10 to give to a charity of your choice. Again, there's going to be breakage there where folks, you know, get the meeting. And then unlike an Amazon gift card where you have to pay for the Amazon gift card if you're going to send somebody an Amazon gift card for taking the meeting with you, and maybe it's $50, maybe it's $100, whatever the meeting's worth to you. You can really double it or even triple it if you're going to compare it to the Amazon gift card cost. Because if you send somebody an Amazon gift card and they don't use it, you're still paying because you had to buy the Amazon gift card. If you send someone, you know, $100 to give to a charity of their choice and they don't use it after 14 days, we'll send a couple of reminder emails. But if they don't use it, you don't pay for that, right? And so if, let's say, one out of three people actually use it, both, I mean, Amazon gift cards 
they may use even more, they may use over a longer time horizon. But let's say one out of three people use the charity gift card, then you know, $100 to give to the charity of choice is equivalent to giving three people $33 on Amazon, right? And so I think that's another piece that's here that's interesting where you can say, hey, take a meeting with me and I'll give you X dollars to give to a charity of your choice. And we could set that up super easily and we take care of all the logistics of sending that person their credit as well as allocating, you know, distributing all the money to all the different charities. So that's one way that you can use it in your B2B model. The other side is, you know, getting people to sign up or using it as an upsell or a retention tactic, right? So you could say, hey, you know, you're signed up with us for the three month period. When you renew to the six months, you're going to get $100 to give to a charity of your choice, right? When you renew next year, you're going to do this, hey, sign up for the larger package, get money to give to a charity of your choice, all that type of stuff. Again, whatever your KPIs are, think about your KPIs over the next three months. What do you want people to do? Man, I really wish I had people signing up for the yearly package. Great. Incentivize that. If you sign up for the year package, by the way, sign up for the year package, you get $300 to give to a charity of your choice. That type of stuff can really move the needle for an individual who cares about it. It also starts, it's an opportunity to start a conversation around, hey, what do you care about? Oh, you started a nonprofit? It's amazing. What did you st- and like just having that organic conversation is super interesting. And with the the list of nonprofits, is that something that gives maintains or is it something that's not in there that they want? Or do business owners like pick specific things they want to be a part of? Yeah, great, great question. So the way that it actually works is we have over 175,000 different charities in that's a the database. Few. Yeah. So most are covered. That said, if there's a charity that somebody had started or you started or your friend started or your brother or sister, whatever, that's not in there. You can get it added in less than 48 hours. Super, super simple process to get it added into the database. And the nice part there is you kind of get the best of both worlds. So let's say you're a B2B business owner. You have something that you're super passionate about. Let's say it was you were passionate about clean water and you're going to you know highlight Charity Water and Oceana and another charity that's you know helping the environment in different ways, right? And so you're going to highlight those charities. So when somebody gets their $100 to give to whatever charity they want, they're going to see that it's going to be all branded for your B2B business. And it's going to say, hey, you know, we care about these things. And you're going to get to highlight those charities. Maybe you started a charity, you can even highlight the charity that you started. And somebody can click, yeah, I'm going to send the $100 there, they're going to learn about it. That's cool. Or they could use the search bar and search for over 175,000 different charities and be able to donate to whatever they care about. The nice part is at the end of the day, you want them to donate to what they care about, because they're going to associate that forever with you. But if they don't particularly care about something, then you have that nice, like, easy button there for them to just say, yeah, great, Charity Water's perfect. Boom, done. That's nice. So you're able to really highlight things that you care about along with them. Correct. Does a business owner get a report of places that their customers have donated? Totally. Exactly. That's exactly right, right? And so, and ultimately where we're going on our roadmap is to be able to segment out for people like, hey, here's all the people that care about the environment. Here's all the people that care about LGBTQ causes, right? And so, on Earth Month, you should, during Earth Month, you should email these folks. During Pride Month, you should email these folks, right? Like this is, you know, to either win them back or, you know, they were prospects that took a meeting, but then ultimately you now know what they care about. You now can talk to them a little bit more personally. That's great. So how can people learn more about you and about Gives online? 
Yeah, so Gibbs, which we haven't spelt yet, so uh, G-I-V-Z, again, just four letters, G-I-V-Z, and you can go to G-I-V-Z.com to learn more about us. We've just separated into like, okay, are you a Shopify e-commerce store or are you anything else? And so you can contact us there. We also have a chat where you can download an ebook, but also chat with me at any point in time, me or somebody on my team. And that's probably the best place you know, to interact and learn more. If you want to email me directly, it's Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W, at G-I-V-Z.com. So you can always email me directly, and I'm happy to chat about any ideas. The The goal here is to make donation incentives mainstream across industries, and I think we're well on our way. That's great. And one final question is, how did you come up with the idea to use technology to facilitate this? I mean, not a lot of places have APIs for giving and things like that. So this is, you know, relatively revolutionary, normal in the tech world, but not in the nonprofit world. Totally. Well, I think the fact that I come from the operating side on the nonprofit side of things makes it a lot clearer in terms of like, okay, I was doing investment banking. I was running a nonprofit. I kind of combined those skills. I also, you know, my co-founders are also perfect stories here, right? Especially on the, the, our CTO comes from, he actually built SaaS products for nonprofits. So his customers were nonprofits for one of the startups that he started and ultimately actually just had a great exit. And his second startup was an e-commerce store. So he had sold to charities, software for nonprofits, SaaS for nonprofits, and then an actual e-commerce store. And now this is his third startup. So, I mean, you could see where our backgrounds kind of came together perfectly for this. But where did the idea ultimately really come from? When we initially started, we were a Venmo for Charity direct-to-consumer platform that we've ultimately shuttered and pivoted into what we're supposed to be doing now. But as we were pivoting, we had the reason we pivoted, we had two brands come to us and say, hey, we want to test out these, you know, giving people donation incentives. It was the first ever really like replacing a discount with a donation incentive. And they ran an A-B test on Facebook. Ad one said, you know, here's $50 off, sign up now. Ad two said, here's $50 to give to a charity of your choice. And the $50 to give to the charity of your choice, if you sign up now, ad performed 20% better than the $50 off ad. And wow. that was my first like, whoa, this is crazy. We replicated that study with an email A-B test with a handbag company, $40 off versus $40 to give to a charity of your choice with different coupon codes. And again, the $40 to give to a charity of your choice outperformed the discount. That was the revolutionary part to me. And so building the tech piece of it was the no-brainer way to make this scalable and to make it something that everybody can do. That's great. Well, Andrew, appreciate you being on the show and sharing your insight, wisdom. And for everybody that has a SaaS that's listening right now, this is absolutely something you need to do. So go to givesgivz.com and sign up. This is something we're actually going to do, Champion Leadership Group. I'm going to do this with Intelligent Contacts as well. And, uh, and so you'll see that on our site by the time this airs and you can check it out and come book some meetings with us and give to charity. <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Andrew for coming on the show and sharing your insights and resources. Learn more about Andrew and Gives at Gives.com. And that is G-I-V-Z, Gives.com. So do great things in the world and give your customers the option to donate to a cause they love, which they will remember, instead of maybe just getting a little discount, which they're going to forget. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sassfuel.com. Well, while you're there, 
at sasfuel.com. Please subscribe and follow us. For every new subscriber this week, you will receive a personalized thank you note delivered by Carrier Pigeon. About that, you just have to be quick. So when you see the pigeon, grab the note. All good. So Carrier Pigeon, subscribe this week, sasfuel.com. Well, join us next week for our conversation with Alex Colmer. Alex is the founder and CEO of VidMob, the world's leading platform for data-driven human creativity. How about that? Alex has made a career living at the intersection of technology, design, and consumer entertainment, including some incredibly popular game titles. So check it out next week. And until we meet again, live with gratitude, give big, and as always, enjoy the journey.